Good morning. Hi, Bunny. How was your week? It was good. You know, I uh, I am now fully vaccinated, so I'm trying to figure out if this, you know, what is safe to do, what, when. Um, uh, I got the Moderna vaccine. The Pfizer vaccine is um, just released reports that said um, it is it will immunize you for at least six months. So oh. that's one development in this. So what about what get, about fucking Moderna? Do we get do we get um a, a fucking Wolverine shit too? A Wolverine shit. At my oh, late age, I'm lucky to get Wol- any shit. <laughs> Wolverine is an X Men who heals himself. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> now tell me what is Drag Race? <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, so Pfizer yeah. immunizes you for six months. What about the what? What are the studies about the Moderna one that we got? Well, I, I guess they're still running the the studies because they, you know, they're trying to do this on the fly. You know, look when I when I uh, took the cab to get the second one, I had a really fun cab driver. He said, you know, I'll get it mine when the time comes. My wife has asthma, so she's already gotten hers. But he said. You know, the the vaccine is rushed. And so, you know, I said, well, you know what? I'm glad it was rushed. This is a global pandemic. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if it was if it was rushed, that's fine with me. I'm, I'm glad it was rushed. And, you know, if we have to take another one in six months, then I'll take another one. Now, I wonder if that's going to be tough for people who've had a hard time um, getting organizing both shots, because it's kind of like not the best news to hear when you're trying to get everybody vaccinated and a two shot yeah. process, you realize it's going to, it may, depending on your vaccine need to be done again in six months. But I'm, I am also reading that 49% of Republican men are not going to get the vaccine. Good. Kill them all. Die. Well, we don't necessarily want that because they may kill us too. True. so yeah i mean it's interesting to just see what people feel comfortable with what you can do now that you've been vaccinated people will still need to wear you know masks and gloves and not but no condoms though which is nice no condoms no you never wore them (laughs) 
Yeah, Monet wears condoms in her ass. She's pre-lubed <laughs> Yeah, at all pre-lubed, honey. I hooked up with a guy recently, and he came over, and he said he, he was going to shower and like be right over. He came over or whatever. But his ass was fully lubed and moist. I'm like, so did you come out of the shower and you like pre-lubed before you came over to my place or are these existing loads still in your hole or like I was so confused I was like he literally was like yeah I just came from the gym gonna shower and then I'll head over so I was just so confused how it was I'm like did you on did, like did the uber driver uh fuck you and and, and like leave his shit inside? like I was so confused yeah well uh there was a legendary <laughs> trans drag performer named Princess Shanae and she always says that her safe sex tip was when um, some guy was going to fuck her and she would reach out, reach behind and feel his ass. And if it was loose, he didn't, she didn't let him fuck her. <laughs> and I, was like, I said, wow. I mean, you know, that's kind of, I mean, of course it's not foolproof, but oh my God, that's quite a, quite a way. But yeah, if a guy came over, you don't know if he was just extra anal and with the preparations and he wanted everything to be just taken care of with the douche and the whatnot beforehand um or whether that's somebody else's lube that he's kind of been passed around so i guess we have to ask what kind of men are you attracting monet (laughs) just a old the only one you can get to come over is just old used up cum dumpster because i'm one of those and you don't attract me Girl, I was so confused. I was like, and it was a little bit of a turnoff. I'm like, like I thought I was going to be the first one of the day. I'm like, how many have you had today? Which, again, I'm not slut shaming. I live your life. But I was like, for my experience, for what I wanted in my life, I thought I was going to be priority numero uno, not number 17. Well, this is a rough conversation for Easter Sunday, but it does have a happy ending. (laughs) Monet did not recognize me. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, I think we should get to the headlines of the day. Headlines. Bunny, you have never commented on my lovely vocals I put down for the headlines. Do you like them? (laughs) Don't don't record me and force me to admit that I never listened to this shit. (laughs) (laughs) i didn't hear you you know they do such a good job editing it that um i never even need to check their work so i haven't heard the newer segments yet quit calling me out on being uh into it Oh, but Bunny, this was <laughs> this, this this first story was your idea, and I'm happy that you uh, brought this up because I was really um, pleased to watch the Tina Turner documentary. I thought I learned a lot, even though I am a Tina Tina Turner fan. Um, I did not know a lot of the information that was in the movie. I mean, in in the in the doc, and um, I thought it was it was well done. 
It was beautifully done. And as our guest later today, HRH, Her Royal Highness Princess Deandra, mentioned to me privately, they really did not go cheap on the vintage clips. Like they have to pay mm. for all of that stuff. And oh, they really? really dug and they impressed Deandra and me. And you know, you can always tell, uh, well, it's one way to tell. Uh, with a filmmaker when they have to create when they're not using archival footage and they have to create like new scenes that are transitions and stuff if they match the look of the other stuff and this was yeah. this this movie was beautifully done on HBO Max I mean the 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 look of it was fantastic I thought they made an effective use uh, of Tina's old uh, dwellings before she left Ike, like, um, like 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 you mean the house they lived in together? Yes, I mean they, they you know the camera was a little unsteady and it just looked kind of like returning you know to a crime scene, but it was quite a yeah. grand room that a rock star you know would would live in. And so yeah. you say that you mainly know uh, Tina Turner from the movie What's Love Got to Do with It yes. with Tina Bassett, which I suspect is a, is the Angela. same with a lot of people. But yeah. for me, um, Tina with the long, shiny wigs and the high heels, and everyone says that she has great legs. So, I mean, listen, I always wear mini skirts. I always wear wigs. And I wonder, looking back, if Tina not necessarily influenced me, but I was pre presented, you know, as fr from, you know, childhood, this is this performer who is going to stop the show mm -hmm. every time. She's going to have her backup dancers. She's going to be slinging her wigs. And Jesus, wigs were so shiny back then. Everyone wants human hair wigs now. So all the wigs are totally flat. I Girl. hate this. My, Do they're, you? They're all, huh? You don't, you don't like human hair wigs? Oh, please. I wear five wigs. That would be like $10,000 to get a, a you know, wig. And that's not even the cost of styling it. But they have no human hair wigs. They can curl better and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah. if you're teasing wigs and jacking them into curls, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, know, don't like need that girls, you don't want human hair. And it doesn't yeah. shine. So I like the brassy, shiny look. And before she hit it big with the you know trademark big, tall shag wigs that were kind of rock looking tina wore those long 70s you know yeah. wigs and and the girls were known to like shake the hair one thing i did not like about this documentary is that when rolling on the river speeds up and she says with that intro we're never doing anything nice and you know you know easy we always like it nice and rough and then the music she she sings it uh, slow first and then fast. Well, the the backup dancers and her. This was a, this was like a classic TV moment from probably 1965 to 75, where she would be on every, you know, Carol Burnett, and this was her showstopper. So, I did not see other black women who were powerful, writhing on stage. You know, I mean, I loved Aretha. I loved Diana Ross. I loved the other but they were more you know, celebrities. But, right. And, and Tina was just a, a burner, a scorcher. Not like Tina Burner, uh, oh, who burned girl. out. But it like, you know, like, I mean, just <laughs> like, I mean, the, the, the voice is coming from deep within. She is wailing and screeching and, you yeah. know, um, 
but the movie they didn't do that thing where they uh, the music speeds up and all the backup dancers and Tina like put their heads down to the ground on that. Yeah, they didn't show that. But maybe that, but maybe that that evolved over time. Maybe the clip we saw was like they were still figuring it out because how do you set it up? Like they had like this was the like her not her first hit but like the major hit for her and Ike together and it like how they set up the scene was like this was like one of the first performances thereof and I think that's probably something that that evolved over time the iconic well also I just watching it yes I have heard Tina Tina Turner music uh, private dancer uh, simply the best all that stuff but I guess in watching this documentary I just realized even more so how like unique like her tone was and how and how probably revolutionary it was to see this like black lady rock star doing this at that time like watching it i was like that probably was such a crazy thing because like you like you like you were saying black women were not acting like that on stage they weren't singing like that and they just surely weren't wearing things where bitch her fucking dresses were so short you 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 may have seen a little a little labia so it was and it was was sexual yeah. And, and, it, it, and she didn't have the updos. It was like, you know, she was, you know, a dynamo, like every mm-hmm. which way and loose. And um, it was. It made me a big Tina Turner fan watching it. I was like, I'm like, I'm like, like literally after we get done, I'm going to go go down on a whole bunch of her catalogs and stuff and just listen to the songs that I don't know a lot about because I'm like uh, this movie, this documentary made me like a Tina Turner fan. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, I like love her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's. She's phenomenal. I mean, she's she's one of a kind, truly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes me sad that she's retiring, but we'll talk more about that with our yeah. guest, Princess DeAndre, who gave us And listen, y'all need to tune in later with Princess DeAndre. She is such a hoot. She's such a riot. Bunny's known her for a long time. I've only known her for, like, about four years now, and she is so funny. She has, she has a big history, Bunny, of following a lot of these celebrities around, like Diana Ross and Tina Turner. Well, more, more so, when I met her, she spoke to me a lot about Diana Ross and how she would, like, literally just follow Diana Ross around the country and around the world and like Diana Ross was like get this bitch away from me like it was it was she had a really interesting life yes well she's also impersonates Patti LaBelle like no other that I've seen and Mm -hmm. she really encompasses the music I mean she is an old school lip sync diva I mean the music is is in her, and I mean, Deandra would be Patty's guest at concerts to dress as Patty and run up and down the aisles, you know, entertaining the crowds along with Patty. Really, so, I oh, didn't yes. know that. I mean, oh no, no, Deandra would go to great lengths, you know, for her performances to get that dress made. That uh, I mean, she that she studied the divas. She didn't just have a slight connection to them. She, if she did someone, she needed to feel them at the moment. And one interesting thing about Deandra's artistry, and it really is uh, magic, is that I saw her come out at the boy bar to do Diana Ross, and mm-hmm. I thought, you know, oh, what is this song? I've never heard it. I said, oh no, this one's not gonna go over well, because it was slow, and I had never heard it, and I love Diana Ross. Um, RuPaul's the one that turned me on to all of Diana Ross's music mm-hmm. in Atlanta. And I mean, De- Deandra was so spellbinding that 
the little Diana-isms, even, even a serious song can make you laugh because she finds a way to inhabit these, you know, stars. And it really does involve so much more than just getting up there with a spiky wig on or doing mm-hmm. stop in the name of, you know, it's just like, yeah. it's, it's yeah. Some, the, the, the mannerisms, the, the, the dance moves. So, you know, when she, you know, did Tina, you know, there's, there's what she does, Tina, there's nothing like it. So when um, I do Tina, yeah. I have a great night too. Um, when you do Tina, I'd like to do Ike and beat you down. <laughs> In I fact, you know what? You don't even need to do Tina for me to beat you down. Just get back into town. Uh, speaking of the impersonations, kind of, kind of leaning to in, into our next story, like the state of drag. Um, do when I when I, the gig I did with with Deandra, we were we were hired to do a a Supremes bit, and Deandra was playing Diana. I was playing uh, Mary Wilson, and this other queen was playing um, Cindy Bertong. Uh, and then, like, but Deandra was so, like, about all the isms. Like, I would do something. Like, I would do, like, The Rock that I've seen, like, the Supremes do, like, watching videos of them. And then she would, but, but she was so meticulous. She's like, oh, no, girl, you were swinging your hips too much. You need to not sway your hips this much. You need to move your chest, da, da, and then put your hand down here, And but don't put your, don't fling your wrist down. Put your wrist, it was, she's so meticulous about how it is, because she was like, she, she's like, I'm so sick and tired of seeing all these young queens trying to, trying to, trying to do the Supremes, but, then, but they're not doing the Supremes, and I was like, that, I mean, it's her, it's, obviously she's good at it, so I, like, took it all in, but I was like, if this old bitch don't leave me the fuck alone, and let me just get my little check for, um, for $500, and fuck off. Off, but it was it was well worth well, it at the end. I mean, not only is she committed to doing her divas right, but she was also just trying to overcome your natural uh, laziness and slowness to catch on. So, so that was, I mean, you you're surly, and you know you uh-huh. you're hard to work with. So it's like she doesn't have to go that extra mile with everyone that she works with. Is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> the state of drag. Bunny, I am so in- excited to talk about this with you because I know, I know, because I feel like sometimes you sit at home and you scroll on the Instagram and the Twitter and you watch draggers and you're like, what are these fucking kids doing? And I admittedly have those feelings sometimes, even though I'm, um, you know, uh, a little younger than you, much younger than you. Um, I still look back <laughs> at the drag of this era and I'm sometimes I look at the screen and I put my head to the side and I'm like, girl, what is that? And it's very interesting, this new wave of not wearing titties, not wearing hips, not wearing corset, um, uh, the super, super minimal makeup. And I am a queen. I don't, I don't do like the big tricksy eyes or, or the big heavy bob makeup or Bianca, but I still wear a lot of makeup in my opinion. So um, it is this, this new evolution and iteration of drag is very interesting. What are your thoughts about it? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Do you want more of it? Um. I mean, listen, someone uh, was uh, talking, saying something to a friend of mine about how they don't like Cardi B's music. And my friend said, you know what? It's not for our age group. And I thought that was a really good point because it's like, yeah, at some point you stop taking in new influences. And, you know, because I perform in nightclubs and parody songs or whatever, I kind of have to know what's going on. You know, I have to kind of keep my hand in there. But, yeah, I mean, it's like the the this we're not talking about music. We're talking about drag. But 
Everyone always wants to ask me about how drag has changed. I don't want to go into that whole thing now, but one thing that I did notice that Monet and I were just chatting about is that I did watch the lip sync from the past Friday's Drag Race. Mm -hmm. And... Candy versus uh, Olivia. That's right. In case and you, yeah. so Olivia would be more traditional drag with big hair, the waist nipped in. She had mm -hmm. on a beautiful dress with like a bow that accentuated the hips. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then Candy was, <laughs> she, 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 I mean, honestly, if I had just seen a photo, I, I'm not sure that I would have known that she was in drag because the the wig wasn't um very big you know olivia's was big probably two or three wigs definitely jacked out and candy was wearing like an asymmetrical um bob which can be a fashiony look but maybe it's more fashiony if it looked like it wasn't cut by a lawnmower um but, but so, so so the other thing is i, I was trying to look at um, so, I mean, so, so the, the Candy's wig did not make her face look very feminine, and she does have a cute face. She does. Um, it's pretty. But, you know, I like big wigs, so that's like an old, you know, timey, draggy, you know, thing. And if somebody wants to be more androgynous, well, then that's perfectly, perfectly fine. But usually in a show or runway presentation, you do think of bigger. But then I looked you know, down from the wig, and because she doesn't wear, does she never wear boobs? Candy, I mean, throughout this entire season, I've maybe seen her wear boobs once. Candy does not wear boobs. It's not well, her she thing. has her own, you know, fleshy, you know, boobs, so if that's what she wants to wear. But when, when I saw it without the heels from, like, a mid-angle, I mean, it didn't exactly look like she was even in drag. Because, you know, the, 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 the shape, you know, and I'm not saying I'm any different. The shape was boxy, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, this this is definitely, this has been a trend. I mean, more so than any other drag season I've seen. Like, yes, Aquaria would sometimes uh, not wear, no, not sometimes, a lot of times did not wear wigs in my season. And that's just not Aquarius thing. And but Aquarius like one of like the when when all the rest of us did. And then like season eleven, a few a little more, season twelve a little more. But season thirteen, this current season, I mean a lot of the girls, at least at least seven of them, like Candy, Got Mick Simone, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of who else on the season, uh, um, uh, Utica. Sometimes a lot of them just don't wear boobs. And um, they they will wear hips more so than not wear boobs, and or they won't court or they won't cinch or anything. And then sometimes when I would critique them on sipping on sipping watchery, the fans are like Monet, you need to like embrace like all types of bodies. Like this is like this is like their drag, and like and like not all women have boobs, not all women wear hips, not all women cinch. And I'm like, yeah, I get that, but this is drag where you're like creating this fantasy and this like. And you're this. heightening it. So if, yeah, you, if they don't, if not, if not all women have boobs, well, you know what? Not all women wear heels. Not all women wear makeup. So why bother getting in drag? Right. Yeah. That's why put any makeup feel. on? Why put on an earring? Look, I understand. There's always been like an androgynous drag where people don't fully get into drag. Mm -hmm. They, they, uh, you know, maybe it's like a man who wears heels. And I mean, this has been going on, you know, for for. Uh, 
ages and ages and ages. And so they won't wear boobs because unlike me, they're not doing like a drag look. I mean, they, they may be wearing slacks and heels. They're not mm -hmm. really, they're not doing like a looks, they're not wearing a big woman's hair. So it's kind of like a fashion, it has traditionally been like a fashion mannequin thing. Like if you're wearing a very, very chic look, there were some guys that went out to Studio 54 wearing that. There was a Todd Oldham used a male model named uh, Billy Beyond, who was literally walking with Linda and Evangelista. And honey, nobody was laughing. And he didn't wear boobs because probably the suits and stuff did not, would not be big mm, enough for him to put boobs yeah. in too. So, you know, it can look like a chic mannequin but i'm gonna tell you as someone who is you know on the heavy side um so when you don't wear boobs and you have a big stomach the stomach sticks out further than your natural man's boobs <laughs> and that's yeah. gonna be you know i'm not body shaming but in terms of what is chic that's yeah. not going to strike most people as chic. And chic, all yeah. I know is that as my guts got bigger, the tits have gotten bigger too, honey, because we want to, it's a little race to see which one can poke out the furthest, <laughs> you know, and I, I am losing, but uh, I do try. So, I, but, but, you know, I think that the, the idea is that you hit on is that people think that drag could and should be anything. And I, I, I respect that. I mean, there've been, People totally. that don't, people that like more traditional drag, they're not going to like milk's drag, which is right. you know makeup and a wig and guy's body. But yeah. I don't, I never shit on milk's desire. And his his, I think what he does is actually cool. So I take oh, totally, it on a yeah. case by case basis. You know. Yeah. Well, well, what well, well, this is a conversation I've had, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this too, is that you know in the you know people always people forget the fact that back in her when she was too young judy garland used to do blackface for she did it she did it for certain performances for certain films yada 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 but it was more accepted back then in the 50s and it was it, it was performance practice it, it wasn't viewed as how it is today but now we know that that is not appropriate no one no one would ever perform in blackface i mean there's like a whole, there's like a whole thing in in Russia like there's like a whole channel of people like in blackface that's like but Russia is Russia that's a whole another topic but it is not it is not performance practice to do that these days it is frowned upon no one would do that um i was saying what if in like the next 25 30 years drag is like is treated in that same regard of people like oh you to to adorn, to do this drag thing is inappropriate to women, is disrespectful to women, and we look back in 25, 30 years, and we're like, it's drag is not acceptable performance practice, and it is not a viable thing anymore. Could you could you imagine that? Like, what if that actually happens? We often talk about cancel culture and woke language on mm -hmm. this podcast because it interests us both. So here's something that I've noticed. Um, because various leaders, you know, political leaders, Justin Trudeau from Canada, um, mm -hmm. have been ca caught doing, you know, blackface. Um, they, you know, are 
even though it may have been more acceptable when they did it, we mentioned that Whoopi Goldberg's boyfriend, Ted Danson, Ted. Mm-hmm. did blackface when they were together, and she actually wrote the jokes for him, and that was what, the 2000s, the 90s? I don't, rem- no, I don't it was, remember. It was, it was 90s. It was like 95, 94, something like that. The first right. Okay, so here is what the right-wingers, who usually don't like cancel culture, are doing that is very, very cynical. They're using the language of the woke left to gang up on things that they don't like. So if you look up hashtag woman face, the conservative women are who do not like the drag, they are saying that it really? is that a thing? That the dra- Oh, yes. They're saying that the drag offends them and they call it woman face because they want to liken it to blackface. And in the same way that people doing blackface, including politicians who they may support, have been shut down, they now see they now want to shut down drag because it is mocking women. Now, here's where it gets really I knew it it gets really interesting. So previously. When drag was development, also developing, but in my lifetime, the people who did not like drag were somewhat more hardcore feminists who claimed that drag was misogynist because we've all mm-hmm. seen the drag queens who, you know, and I'm tasteless, my act is tasteless, but who, you know, rub their titties, um, you know, uh, smell their pussy and there's some Mm -hmm. fish joke or whatever but it's to portray women in a way that is tacky that is misogynistic that is whorish that is you know overly sexual and and generally negative stereotypes and they you know may often say that the gay women i mean the the women that gay men idolize like Joan Crawford, Betty Davis from my generation, are bitches. I mean, in your generation, Mean Girls or the Meryl Streep character on The Devil Wears Prada. I mean, Mm -hmm. we do idolize the bitches. And they say that so drag queens give an impersonation of women which is not positive. Right. Was was, not, not, not favorable. And, you know, I just always said, well, look, I'm going to do what I do to the best of my abilities. I will take other people's concerns. You know, no, you are right. It, You're going to do what you do to the least of your abilities. We've, we've seen your <laughs> act, baby. Well, I'm able to stand up now. Um, th- after months of training and rehearsals, I'm able to stand up. So uh, I feel like I'm doing really well. But, yes, there have always been voices saying that drag is bad. So are they going to say that this is misogynistic, that we are aping females? Probably. Um, that, or, or, are they going to say, I mean, they've already said it I'm, uh, from the feminist decades ago, are they going to say that men uh, walking around in heels is suggesting that women should have this hyper uh, you know, female, like with this violet cinched waist or like these ridiculously big wigs that we are showing a cartoonish Trixie Mattel uh, image of No, bro, that is a fucking women... gargoyle-ish. Right, uh, exactly. Per, 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 so, yeah. yeah, so gargoyle with my wigs. So, um, <laughs> you know, the uh, it, 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 this, this discussion goes way back, but yes, people, people are saying... I don't know how much this woman face thing caught on, but 
I've never right. heard of they, it. They, they tried it. They did try it. And, and you ask if it will happen in the future. Yeah, it, it could. But I do get the fact that people think that dressing up is their creativity and there should be no barriers on it. You know, totally. if they don't want to oh, wear yeah. boobs, if they want to wear flats, it, but, you know, then we get back to the thing. Well, if you don't wear any of the attributes of women and you're a male, well, then why are you calling that drag? I mean, just come out with nothing. And you mentioned something that I do think is funny. So when they stop wearing the boobs and they don't mm -hmm. have that part of a woman's silhouette, yet they pad their hips. So you're padding one area and not the other. How did you decide? Well well, I mean, I mean, I, I get that because that is like a that is like a fashion look. Like you see a woman who has like a little curvy hip, but she has no tits. Like that's like that can be very like edgy and very editorial and very fashion. And again, listen, I'm not saying not on candy. I'm not, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that people shouldn't be able to listen. Dress up and express how you want. I'm just saying sometimes, especially for some of the outfits someone is wearing, I'm like, girl, that would look so much cuter if you threw on just like a little hip or if you stitch in the waist a little more, it would give it like a little more va-va-voom. Um, but I, I've, I've gone times where I haven't worn boobs for an outfit or um, I haven't worn hips. Like I, I have done that as well. But something that I always do, no matter what, not unless I'm wearing a sack or something that doesn't hug my body, I always wear a corset, literally every single time, because at least, because I naturally have a very fat ass, and I have, and I am a bit hippie, so I can, I, I feel like for my personal thing, I can get away with sometimes not wearing hips, um, but typically always boobs, and I always corset, uh, but you know. I always wear a sack so that I don't have to wear a corset, so, and I don't need to pad my hips either, because I wear, you know, minis that are somewhat A-line or loose, and then mm -hmm. I you know, it's not hugging my hips. I mean, if I were, God forbid, wearing a jumpsuit, which I don't, I, you know, then I would probably Bunny, my if I, I would fucking scream if you came out of performance and you had a full skin-tight cat suit, uh, corseted waist, hips, tits, I would literally fall out of my chair and I would jump to my death because I would be so gagged. Okay, let me put you on hold while I order that exact costume. <laughs> <laughs> if you're currently watching this season of Drag Race, a lot of the girls do not choose to wear things like boobs or hip pads or um, or cinch their waists. And I have comments, because, you know, I have a Drag Race review show with Bob the Drag Queen Summer Watchery, and I've commented on it. And sometimes people are like, yeah, I agree. But then we also get comments and people have been like stop um don't body shame them like uh, uh bodies come in all different shapes size and sizes and forms and etc and it really begged the question like what is the state of drag like what so is it the state we're, we're mainly talking about about attributes because yes of course drags are in all sizes monet and i are different size but yeah. we both wear boobs <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we while boobs. we're not saying, yeah, while we're not saying that you know there's a right way or wrong way to do it, you're 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 not paying attention if you're not noticing that 
a lot. You, I mean, Monet, you said maybe none of the girls on season thirteen. This I, season, not this season, not not none. It's definitely uh, if, since my season of Drag Race, it's definitely a lot of them. Like I would say, off the top of my head, maybe like five girls don't wear boobs and sometimes not pads or or or, or extension corset. Well, there's all kinds of different ways to do drag. And we just wanted to know if the audience is no- noticing this also. What you think of queens without boobs? Do you think queens should wear pads? A lot of queens think you do. I don't, and I don't wear them. Um, you know, I mean, I'm even, I'm even lax on the heels sometimes. <laughs> if I'm not a shoot, you know, I mean, you know. We, we, we have some stereo calls already. Let's take, let's take the, our first one. This is okay. from Michael Rosner. Hi, Michael. Hey, guys. First of all, love you. Um, Just saying from London. Uh, This kind of drag's been around for a really long time here. So it's kind of cool that it's maybe crossing the ocean. Um, I think it's cool. It's a bit gender fuckery. So, yeah, I'm down for it. I mean, gender fuck drag has been around in New York for a long time. Like, it it has been around in New York for, especially in New York City. I don't know about, like, southern cities, like, like the pageant girls or in the Midwest. But, yeah, New York City, there's a lot of gender fuck drag. It's been around for a long time. But that being said, you know, it's just interesting. Yeah. Usually what we call gender fuck is, like, um, beard and makeup. That's what we often call gender fuck here. But yes, I mean, listen, there was a guy I mentioned, Kevin, I don't remember his last name, would always go out to Studio 54 and he would wear, you know, a chic Halston look or something with short men's hair and makeup and no boob. And it was very fashiony, you know, and, yeah. and I, I, I guess that's what they're going for i don't know if they always achieve what they're going for but (laughs) um you know that's a case by case scenario yeah let's take let's take another one this one is from juan rivera i want to see titties (laughs) i don't want to see no sternums (laughs) (laughs) t though t I agree with you, Juan. I mean, you know, I mean, it's not that I don't want to see no titties, but it's like I'm really going to judge you mostly on the performance rather than what rules you have adhered to. But, you know, um, the first caller said he likes the no tits. It's gender fuck. You say you want to see him. So (laughs) let's take another call. I'ma be messy. First of all, hi, love y'all. But <laughs> someone from the House of Avalon tweeted about um why girls gotta wear pants. Uh, da, 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 da. Right after Bob and Monet came, not came for, but talked about Simone not wearing pads. I guess more so Monet because. And I agree, like, girl, throw a hip on. Accentuate yourself. Oh, it's the House of Avalon. We're talking about why people got well, um if, if you don't know, Bunny, House of Avalon, that is the drag house that Simone and Gigi Good, who was a contestant last season, that's the house, that's their drag house that they are from. And they all work together creatively oh. and create really great looks and stuff. Oh, okay. And having seen them both on the last two seasons, I assume that their drag house is being foreclosed on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, this is okay, House of Avalon. Again, I don't take anything personally. Again, it's a I do a drag race review. If you don't like my my opinions, then you also don't have to listen to it. And just like that is House of Avalon's opinion too. That why people got to wear hips and everyone's opinion. Everyone got motherfucking opinions. All right, no, no, no opinion is right or wrong. Let's take uh, this is Dominique Hayden. Okay, so here's my opinion on this. This is decal from the other Patreon. I'm a black lady, like sis or whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm not skinny or thin by any means. I'm super duper flat chested, but I have ass and legs. So that's just the way I'm built naturally. So I don't think it's like necessary or when I hear people saying like, you got to put on boobs to make it look more proportionate, to make it look more womanly. Like I'm a woman. And I don't have no titties, so like, what what are they trying to say at that point? You know, it's a little bit irritating, but I think I would look more like even out if it was there, but I'm not tripping. But I also don't think like it's necessary as far as like a drag silhouette in order for it to be realistic, because I'm real. Okay, and so you're saying that you have, so when you see the drag queens wearing hip pads and no boobs on the show, that those are similar to your shape, so it doesn't seem one bit odd to to you, and and that's what a woman that is looking like a woman's. I think that's what mm-hmm. you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's valid. Absolutely. No, I I feel that. I hear that. And I guess now that Drag Race is on this international internet TV platform, it's like whereas back in the day, drag queens were performing in clubs for gay men and people under the LGBTQIA community and we were personifying what we thought to be womanly which was big big hips and small and a small waist and big tits to balance it all out so people wouldn't clock you as being in drag so i guess now that we're on tv it's like try, it's it's edifying and showing more shapes and sizes of what all women look like um and well, and, not- and I, go ahead. yeah i i, I I think that drag queens want to heighten. That's why they wear a lot of makeup, more than a woman wears. That's why I they wear, you know, higher heels sometimes than women wear. That's why they wear hip pads for bigger, curvier hips because they're overcompensating for maybe broad shoulders or, you know, something else that they want to hide with sleeves, their arms or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, drag queens or sometimes women in show business might pad their bra, you know, so that that when you're on camera or when you're in the show, you are as close to what is considered, you know, um, the most pleasing shape. I mean, so yeah, you might also wear a girdle. Female stars certainly wear um, girdles. Um, I wish you would start wearing one. I wear a waist on my neck. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the only kind that will fit. Um, but yeah, I, I, but you see what I'm saying? I mean, they're trying to heighten it and to look, you know, I mean, yes, a, a woman's figure, um, you know, may be heavy around the middle, but that doesn't stop a Broadway female lead from wanting to cinch her waist in whether it's for her vanity or whether it's to play a slimmer or a younger <laughs> character, you know, I mean, yeah, people yeah. do, people do heighten stuff on stage, drag queens, especially. Yeah. Let's take this I mean, call real women from aren't Chris- wearing those wigs. The- 
big wigs usually. Real women yeah. are usually wearing those giant wigs. Hi, ladies. So one of my biggest pet peeves with drag queens is when they try to pad like this giant Cardi B, Kim Kardashian ass, but have these toothpick, tiny itty bitty chicken legs. Like I'm a thick girl. I got and as a boy, I got thick ass calves, big meaty legs. OK, hi. And, you know, my ass fits It's proportional. It looks good from the top to the bottom. Uh, if I can toot my own horn. But like even with gay men, like how are you going to go to the gym and work out this big ass chest? And then you have these tiny little chicken legs. And I know genetics, but like with drag, you can control that you're, am i alone here you can, control <laughs> it. You, you can control that by padding all the way down from the butt and the hips down to the calf some girls do if they're really skinny i mean that must be fucking hard girl that sounds annoying and i would literally never fuck that fuck that yeah but but if you i mean because you know a, even if a woman's legs are thin, they are shapely. And so if you have thin, bony legs, that might be something for you to think of. Because if they're bony yeah. in such a way that they look male, then that's what that's 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 what the traditional solution. But can you imagine not patting down to your knee? But yeah, if if you have skinny bird legs, which, you know, is, is hereditary. And you mentioned the gym guys. Well, they can go to a gym 365 days a year, like me, and um, <laughs> still um, still have the same bone size. So the, the, it's not, no, no exercise is going to change the size of their bone. Yeah, I fucking, when I, when I meet up with guys and like, you could, I know they're like fucking gym heads and they're always in the gym. And then they, we hook up and like their chest... And they're like abs and, and sometimes even their butts be like popping and they have these little chicken. I'm like, boy, did you miss leg day for the past year? What are you going through? What's going on? But you know, yeah, but, it's, it's each but sometimes, sometimes they get chest implants so that everything up top looks m bigger by comparison. I don't know I've how popular that, that is. Yeah, I don't know how popular that is now, but. It makes you look built up top, and then if you have thin legs, you still have thin legs. But yeah, I mean, right? It's, padding all the way down to the ankle is really, you know, dedicated. It's you know crazy. Do hey, Monet. Hey, Bonnie. Monet. At first, I had beef with you. Why does she have to wear hip pads? Why does she have to wear boobs? But now, yeah, after seeing her with the corset in the last dress, I agree. Simone looks more fierce when you can see a more defined shape other than rectangle and i say this as a rectangle that lights are rectangle, <laughs> but like a corset ooh, she looked great <laughs> a rectangle <laughs> i agree she looked so when she came out in that cheetah dress i was like oh my god she looks Stunning, and y'all know I'm like I've literally I'm praising Simone this season because she to me she has literally done. I know she's been in the bottom a few times, but in my opinion, nothing wrong really. And to see her in that in the, with her with her body together, I was like, ooh, yes, bitch, work. Let's take um, a call from Lauren Remini. I think the choice to not wear pads on RuPaul's Drag Race is kind of like the choice to wear a bodysuit and tights on the on the on the runway. Um, it's risky, and it's probably not going to be regarded as as chic as you want it to be. Um, but if that's you know if that's how they want to play it, that's how they want to play it. Right. 
Well, you, well, you know, I think when queens, I think the biggest reason why queens don't wear hips and, and titties may be because you're wearing an outfit. Like, let's say you're wearing, you want to wear an outfit that's backless. It's hard to get titties. You, you, you can't wear a bra with that. Not unless you get an outfit and you have the designer build the boobs in. Or you want to do something where you want to show your legs. Or you can't have hip pads on if, you, if you're showing your legs. So I see why girls do it. And I agree. It can be risky. It can come off great or it can look really not good. So, you know, it depends. Well, it is up to them, and then cunts like us will sit and judge them. (laughs) I'm very excited to have this guest. Like, I think she is literally a hoot, a scream, and a holler. I'm very excited. Well, uh, we both watched the Tina Turner documentary on HBO Max, and so we wanted to call in an expert who is a New York native drag entertainer seen all over New York City, Japan, Tel Aviv, the movie Slaves of New York, one of my favorite lip sync artists, and she knows her divas. Please welcome HRH Princess Deandra. Well, Wait. hello, bitches. Deandra. Happy, happy Easter, cuz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we curse? I didn't know one gave me any rules. Of course we can curse. Fuck, fuck oh, pussy, right. pussy, cunt, cunt, eat my pussy, all of those. No, thank are you. No, thank you. I'm allergic. <laughs> <laughs> Deandra, how are you, my dear? The last time I saw you, you and I were on a gig together with Screaming Queens, and we went to Virginia? We went to somewhere. No, I think we went to, where's that place? It's very white. Um, um, America. um, We we went to America. Newport, Newport somewhere. Newport? Wait, so Bunny announced you as HRH. What does that mean? Her Royal Highness. Her reads. Horribly. (laughs) No, it's it's her... (laughs) Her really, her, 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 wait, somebody called me something and now I can't think of it now. Gant had a funny one. Oh, God. And I was, it's, it's Her Royal Highness. It's Her Royal Highness. Oh, okay. Got it, got it. I didn't call myself that. How are you doing, that. my dear? Um, Matthew Caston gave me that. I, I, I wouldn't be so, you know. I'm, I'm surviving in this pandemic and shut down and yeah. all that. It's horrible, but here we are. Yeah, yeah, it is right. But I mean, what? So when when I first met you, what was so striking to me, and and Bunny alluded to this in your intro, was that you are such a fierce performer, and you clearly come from a different time and a different era of the girls now performing, and it Absolutely. it truly is very magical to watch. It's well, very well, coming uh, from uh, a young from a, from a youngster on top of her game and all of that. It's, thank you for appreciating it because I find when I meet a lot of the young people, they don't give a fuck. But, <laughs> but it's it's nice to be appreciated. It, it is so. Thank you. I mean, Deandra, you are known for your spot-on celebrity impersonations. You do Diana Ross, Patti Labelle, mm-hmm. Tina Turner to a T. And today we wanted to talk to you not just about the new Tina Turner movie, but also just about her life in general and what drew you to do Tina for many years. When did you start And not the drugs, not that Tina, like doing, like impersonating Tina. That's the one we're talking about. (laughs) Well, I don't do drugs. Are you kidding me? 
I'm an alcoholic. I don't think Tina does either. I think, I think, Mo, I think uh, Monet does. I mean, that's why she asked that question. Um, let, to be honest with you, um, Tina is a close, is close to, my love of Tina is kind of parallel, different. It just was there. It reared its head at different times of my life. But I love Tina from when I was a very, very small child, just as I love Frosty. Um, Frosty's Diana Ross. That's my pet name for her, because she's not a warm fuzzy. I was about to say Frosty. Who's Frosty? Diana Ross. She's not a warm fuzzy person. She's Frosty. So, <laughs> so she is Frosty. <laughs> she's Frosty. But, but, but what's but, okay, the connection I, there with? When, how can, okay, when you look at Tina Turner, especially when when I was a young person, she was in her prime, and she would come mm-hmm. on like the Ed Sullivan Show, the Flip Wilson Show, the whomever the fuck show. And she would tear that shit up. You would sit there like, what did I just see? What was that? And, you know, she didn't have like the glitz and glamour and shove down your throat the way all the other artists that we love when we were growing up. But she would come in like a hurricane and go. And for the life Mm. of me, I just can't understand why she wasn't a bigger star then. But I guess it was a different time and people weren't like feeling all that rawness and just all that unbridled like energy. So I was doing it then. So me and my sister, when Tina Turner would come on TV, then the adults would play record, the records, and me and my sister would have a dance off. And I usually Mm. won Tina and she usually won James Brown. And so, you know, the the (laughs) elders were looking like something's wrong with this picture. Stop letting these kids do this. And she would do the shit out of James. They were right. (laughs) Well, my sister's not a dyke. She was a a tomboy until she got titties. She got really big titties really young, and then she stopped playing football. Go figure. Same. So anyway, so anyway, that, uh, wait, that was that okay. was the first the first love of Tina. Ahead, I, I went to see Tina at the Ritz, the those legendary shows at the Ritz. I went, and I was still in high school. Like the Ritz on Forty Sixth Street, or the, like the hotel? Oh, bitch, don't do it. The Ritz that was that became <laughs> Webster Hall. <laughs> Webster Hall yes. was uh, the Ritz, uh, and I. It, it, it was a concert venue. It was a concert venue in, I don't know how far it back it went. Oh, but it honey, was def- it went back far. The there's, a, there's a live Della Reese album. And she goes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Webster Hall. I'm Della Reese. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. it, it's been there. I saw, I saw Tina's um, What's Love Got to Do With It at that space. I don't know what they were calling it. I think it was The Ritz. It was The Ritz, yeah. Like the movie? Bunny, the movie no, you saw there? No, the, the, the comeback tour. Because so one thing that I wanted to just, you know, you were you were mentioning Diana and um, Tina. So at that time, when she got her start in like 60, early, you know, early mid 60s, Diana Ross was very poised with her girl group. And mm-hmm. they were they were very cultivated and with coiffures and they had long gowns and here was Tina with her legs out gyrating, huffing and puffing with long wig you know, hanging down. It was definitely more of a rock thing and she was pulsating 
fighting, going wild, sweating or makeup off. So this was a very like it was a sexual energy. It was, you know, it, it wasn't controlled. It At wasn't all. choreographed. And they weren't stately like, you know, Diana Ross, who cultivated that image because, you know, they wanted to be ladies. Tina was more like a wow, like a hellion, like full of energy and, you know, just 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 doing it with just being herself and into the music, right? Mm -hmm. And also, also one thing that marvels me about that time, they would never like hit the headliners and they would be on a bill like with five, five or 10 people in. And I always say to myself, how the fuck are you standing in the wings watching that perform and you have to go after that? I would have said lies. Lies, somebody else, nope. <laughs> That's the thing that I never could get. Like when they went on the tour with the Stones and whomever. And that crowd must have lost their mind from the Ike and Tina Turner set and then have to watch some staid, rhythmless, no offense, white children <laughs> <laughs> stumbling across the stage. Like I, I can't wrap my brain around that. Like what So so in so in watching the in watching the documentary, they build so before the What's Love Got to Do With It comeback thing, so the year she was with Ike, mm -hmm. and then she separated from Ike. So she so it was like so like they said, like what was that picture painted accurately? Was it was it, was she like super popular, super high? Then no, she left Ike she and, she, and she like kind okay, of dwindled and then she built up again. Okay, I remember during that um that disco era, because I don't think her heart was in the disco, so maybe that's why it didn't really mm -hmm. fly. But she would appear like on mm -hmm. anyone special, the Tony Tennille special, the Donnie and Marie show, the this, and she would just come out like, as, as Bunny would say, a hellion, and all mm -hmm. dressed up in the Mackie, still swinging the hair, and then she'd be gone. And I used to marvel the same way I marvel at Lola Falana, like why aren't these bitches bigger stars? Because she can turn mm -hmm. everyone on that set, everyone in the cast. And then there she goes. I'll take Tina to block on the Hollywood Squares. So that was all yeah. just. Yeah. So I mean, but but I mean, at the same time, she was you know with Rolling on the River alone, she was uh, presented as like a showstopper. You know, I mean, hell, they st drag queens still do that. I never do anything yeah. nice and rough. Never, <laughs> I mean, that is still like the yeah, number yeah. one drag showstopper. So she, Tina was presented. I mean, what what was it for fifteen years? Um, as like when you wanted to to beat the band. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe she wasn't you know an album artist, and of course, you know, she did have a few years. Um, I mean, playing Vegas is not exactly obscurity. Yeah. Um, playing yeah. Vegas in Bob Mackie Gowns. They made it, but they made it seem like that in the show. They made it seem I mean, in the in the show but in the doc. Know, they made it seem like she hated like doing playing it. Vegas was like it's just it's just for like the well, cheap cabaret that, people. They, they made it seem like it wasn't fair. If you were like were a young hit person, Vegas didn't have that cachet in the seventies and eighties. That came later. Like mm. that's Vegas is where you okay. went. You went to die. Like you know. It wasn't mm. the hip. True. Interesting. It wasn't the it's hip happening places. You know, you know it now. If you even consider that hip, got it, whatever. Got it. But it totally wasn't. It then. was Shecky Green, <laughs> Shecky Green, and um, uh, whoever. Yeah. That, that no, crew. like uh, Cameron just posted something yesterday. Um, 
Buddy Hackett, opening for Buddy Hackett, Tina Turner. How the hell do you sit through Tina Turner and then you're going to watch this old fat fool tell jokes after that? I don't <laughs> get that. I just don't get that. But anyway. Are you suggesting that I should not appear on a double bill with Tina Turner? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> or, with, or with Monet Exchange? Uh, well, may, maybe, um, well, but... maybe, well, maybe you can now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, and then another question I have is obviously being such a massive, huge fan that, fan that you were of hers w- during the years of the abuse of the abuse with Ike Turner. I mean, she they showed some pictures and videos of her when she like clearly had like black like a swollen eye and etc. Like, what was the public perception? Did people no one knew see this? That were no one knew no one knew even no though she had black knew. eyes and shit. She covered it up. I'm gonna tell you, like when I one of the. Well, I went to Spain the second time I went to Spain. I stayed like three months and I got her book. I brought her book like the day before mm-hmm. I left. I'm like, I'm going to read this from the plane. I opened that book and I gagged because, you know, there were hints about it. She talked about it like, yeah, he used to beat me up or hit me, whatever. But when she went into, into depth of like the, the actual blow by bow and then the beating her up mm-hmm. and then making her have sex with him and just throwing and hitting her with anything he could hit her with because he didn't want to mess up his hands because, you know, he played an instrument and she would describe the things he would oh, beat her with. Oh, oh my God, really? Was so he was oh shocking. And then she was so sick wow. of talking about it. That's what prompted her to write the book because once she did the first interview talking about it, that's all everyone would ask. So how'd you endure it? Mm-hmm. And blah, 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 blah. She goes, I'm so fucking sick of talking about it, and Kurt Loder even said, he suggested, and you need to write a book. And that way you can definitively put it out there, then you can read it at your leisure, and no one can ask you again, but of course we know that didn't happen. And and Kurt co-wrote the book with her? Kurt wrote the book. Yeah, he actually wrote the book. You know the tapes, those tapes that they were playing? Those were his tapes Uh that he recorded her when he was writing the book. I was loving that. The thing that sticks out about the documentary to me is that um, it seems like for the past 20 or more years, she, you know, wanted to put this this violence behind her because she did escape from Ike after 16 abusive years. And so she wrote the book. And then, of course, the, the, the movie, you know, brings her story, you know, of the abuse back to life. And, you know, it's kind of it's kind of bitter sweet because she did triumph after all of that. I mean, she started off in a cotton field humble background you know she did make it with ike and then the abuse was so horrendous that she had to even you know give up the career and then no one was really interested in her for you know the the late for the disco years when she was in vegas doing disco inferno covering songs like that until she got this relaunch in 1984 but it seems like I, i is it unfair to keep putting this much of the abuse into her story when she clearly has wanted to move on for so long? From what I read, she's over it. But I have a feeling that she she realizes that it's part of her legend and it's the, the showbiz lore and she goes with it. Because when what I was reading, that when she did the documentary, she wanted to focus. Like, here I am. I'm Tina. This is me. My Tina Turner years. But these two young people, mm-hmm. whatever the names are, they didn't know anything about her. Like they were like award-winning the movie directors. makers. 
The directors, yeah, the director. The one writer and director. I don't remember the names. And I read the interview with them, and they said that they just took it, you know, it was a job. Like, oh, this rock legend, let's do this, of course. And they said when, once they started doing the research, they were fascinated by the, by the abuse and that she overcame that. And it was presented to her that they were going to talk about it. She, was, she rolled her eyes like, all right, here we go again. Let's do it. And, of course, you know, it took a life of his own. And, you know, that she's an old woman that's had many, many health issues. She's lucky to be perched. But she just went, uh, go ahead, whatever you need to do, just go. And But I don't know. I, I mean, well, I think some people won't know. Like, young people don't know a lot about older stuff. So it's a chance to, to, to reintroduce a story to a younger audience, to a broader audience, because that movie's damn near 30 yeah. years ago. So come on. But the thing is, I would have loved to see, like, stuff that you would see with any other celebrity. Like, oh, what was that song that went on to be a hit that you passed on? Or now that you're in this life, you know, everyone is cheering in the documentary because this 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 uh, lady who is such a powerhouse and inspiring has found love late in her life. But we don't see a ton of the stuff that she likes to do. We do meet her husband husband but i mean what is she I, I didn't get any sense of of you know we saw her in interviews on you know chat shows we saw her public face and a little bit of the time we saw interviews with her kids which i hadn't seen much of but i was like i really don't know who tina is and hey if she's private yeah. and and has been on these stages you know uh you know hoofing it for decades then she has every right to pull back in whatever way that she wants but i would love i mean does she play scrabble or parcheesi <laughs> i would love to love just you know uh, like, like is it you know i mean does she like a, a low-fat yogurt or hagen you know i would just love yeah, to i agree, you know, like, I agree. <laughs> well in this in these days i i gather from things that I've gathered since you know her last big interview with Oprah. She likes to drink champagne and do nothing. She revels okay. in doing nothing. Staring at her late, sitting in the, on the balcony, drinking that champagne, holding hands with her peace, and like I did that. Abundant, she's just she's just like you, just minus the champagne. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, un unlike me, she earned it. I mean, was, <laughs> in terms of, of, of filling stadiums, stadiums, I mean, when you baby. think of Madonna, Whitney, I don't Diana think of Madonna, Ross, I mean, just, ever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but do you, th I mean, are, are there stars that I'm missing out? Or I mean, I know Ariana Grande sometimes plays stadiums, but I mean, Tina had something, you know, that, that was so huge. She said, I want to be um, someone like who fills stadiums. Fill stadiums. Yeah, like the, like the Rolling Bowie Stones. and the Rolling Stones and all of that. And watching um, uh, uh, the clips that they put in there, what is also like really, like these artists that sell out these stadiums and stuff like that is because they have such a massive appeal like tina turner like beyonce like in, in in tina turner audiences you see like this like army of like broy white dudes like screaming <laughs> oh, oh, oh what's love got to do with it like it's just such a you know there's something to that that this art that this black lady who who is who is the daughter of a sharecropper who picked cotton as a kid is selling out the stadium with all these white dudes with mullets but and, and see, full mustaches see, and beards screaming. That's the thing that's the Achilles' heel she can't escape because it was the story. 
she's she's a survivor. Mm. She overcame the abuse. Yeah. She kept going, and now here she is. Uh, she's in her forties, performing harder than people in their twenties. And it was like one of those those stories that you just loved. Like wow. And I remember mm. when she swept the Grammys that year. And I just think it was just so ironic that Diana Ross gave her presented the album of the year, and she has yeah, to, that she was has really to, cute. She has to pretend to be all happy and yeah, Tina. And <laughs> yeah. her bullshit is slipping hard, and then Tina is this boom new girl in town. It's my turn, bitch, move. So it that yeah. I, I love like that kind of moment. Um, so you, so when, when, when you and I spoke when, when we met, I didn't realize like you spent a lot of your informative years, like traveling the world and yes, like stalking yes, <laughs> Diana Ross and Tina. Please tell us about that. Cause you gave me, there were such great I stories. I stalk Diana Ross around the world. <laughs> I just happened to bump into her a few times. You know, what's funny. I, I didn't stalk Tina Turner, but I saw her a lot and I loved her. I didn't love her the same way. I love Frosty. But I was a backup dancer <laughs> for Tears for Fears on the second MTV Music Awards. And we were waiting to go on, oh. and Tina Turner was standing in the wings, and I lost my mind. So then the handler was going, don't go over there, don't go over there, don't go over there. So then in the end, they said, we were going to dance behind Eddie Murphy for Party All, all the Time. He, he was hosting, and he closed the Oh, my the, God. Not closed, Eddie Murphy. He closed the show with Party All the Time. So as soon as they say, say when the curtains go up, just go run center stage. Don't get in front of Eddie Murphy, whatever you do. That was the only rule. So as soon as I did, I ran and I ran and stood next to Tina Turner and just followed her wherever she went. <laughs> then Annie Lennox came and grabbed me and said, leave her alone. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> she goes, no, because she's going to ignore you and it's going to really hurt your feelings. I'll go, what? She goes, she's kind of... She's in a zone. She's not very communicative. Maybe she got hit in the head too many times. I was like, oh, don't say that, bitch. <laughs> oh my God. And needless to say, I didn't, I didn't bother her, but I was really close, right up on her. Could even smell her, you know? I was Dope. that close. And then another time. How does she smell? She smelled one. All of those famous people smell good. They always like are really overperfumed, but you can't like. To differentiate or recognize the fragrance, but you go, mm, that smells good. But another, my other Tina moment, mm. I did a Wigstock for Bunny. I think it was 2001. Was it Bunny? Mm -hmm. I actually got to go oh, on that time. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Andy from Body Worship, who was doing her costumes, he does. Uh, the Rolling Stones, uh, Janet Jackson and Tina Turner. He called and said, so you're going to do Wickstock. What are you going to do? I go, well, I haven't decided yet. He said, well, if you do Tina Turner, I'll, I'll give you one of her costumes. I go, well, I'm doing Tina Turner. Yep, I'm doing Tina. <laughs> so he fit me for the same costume she wore in her 24-7 tour. It's like patent leather, like a jumpsuit wow. with a bolero jacket with all these chains and shit. Exactly the same dupes that he made me. And he gave me a pair of her shoes. And they were too big. She's a nine, I'm, a, I'm only an eight. And he was telling me these Really? He was telling me these stories. Oh, you forgot in those rehearsals? And you came? <laughs> you came to those rehearsals, Left Foot Lee? And you guys are my little petite. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, um, 
uh, he came to dress, to, you know, to make sure everything was right. And because it was a complicated thing with the chains and shit. And he was like, your hair is wrong. And I was like, what? He goes, Tina's hair looks like roadkill. If you look it up, up close. And he goes, she sits in that dressing room and just beats it on the floor. Boom, boom, boom. And he said, and you know when she starts singing, yong, yong, ring, yong, 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 yong. He goes, you have to leave the room because she sounds like a crazy person. Like it starts off really slow and then she's screaming it at the top of her lungs. And then another thing he told me, when he makes short dresses wow. for her, he says, uh, Miss Turner, how short would you like the dresses? And she takes her hand and puts it down and she bends her fingers and she says right here, when I turn my hands in, I want the dress to be that short. He says, okay. So he goes, so for your background singers, what would you like? She goes, I don't care. Only when I come out, I want them to disappear. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, I don't care what you do, but as long as when I come out, they disappear. Oh, that's my Tina. Yeah, but the Tina hair is hard to get. Someone was telling me, I mean, obviously there's a lot of those spiky costume wigs, but her hair has a lot of different textures. Well, she in it. actually I mean, was she uses, just, she uses horse hair. Hers are her, a horse hair. Okay. And you do the 80s Tina, not the long wig well, 1960s. I've, I've done all the Tinas. But my whole thing is when I do celebrities, I like to do the, the ones that move me or like their most current, current feeling. So I was doing uh -huh. Tina like in the, let's say, the middle to middle 90s to 2000, when she had that shortish kind of wedgie kind of. And I tell yes. you, every time I would wear that, I would walk the streets or go to the gig. People would go, Dion Warwick, Dion Warwick. Uh and I would. <laughs> You know that would kill me. So the one day misunderstood, she says to me, you need to do, to do the thing that's iconic in people's minds. Like, not the thing that you like, not the thing that they're doing now. You have to do the thing that's most iconic and recognizable. So, of course, I did the, you know, the roller set on, with firecrackers. That's what someone called it in the 80s. I never forgot that. And I got the biggest, biggest spiky hairdo and I got ready at the diner, at Lucky Chang's, and they came to pick me up and I walked out and everybody from the bus went, Tina Turner, Tina Turner. And I kind of went, she's right, <laughs> she's right. Ding, 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 I got it. So that's, I do the big spiky yeah. when I do Tina because you know, it's the most iconic. Like, you know, when you do Frosty, you gotta do the bush, you know? Yeah. Yeah, what what yeah. are some of the what are the I mean if to impersonate a celebrity, you know obviously they need recognizable things like the hair. Um, also, the you dance know, if move. you do Joan Rivers, you say can we talk? Yeah, dance moves and also the the facial expressions because I mean she is she sings a line and then like you know her eyes are closed and she throws her head back as if she no, is just in she ecstasy she but does the thing I love the thing that I work on she does the weird lip curls the lip curls and then the tongue licks like they come out of nowhere and they make no fucking sense and it's like what mm. expression is that I always stare at those whenever she does a particularly weird one I work on that one because they just seem to come mm. from nowhere. 
I love it. You are obviously um, you, you're you're known a lot by a lot of people for like your flawless um, impersonations that the bunny was just talking about. Well, like, what are your top three rules for impersonation? Because because that is a thing a lot of people try to do and they don't do it well. What are your top three things to do a good impersonation on anyone? Just you gotta the lip sync has to be on point on point, and it would help if you did uh, dialogue in the lip sync because that always kills. You, you know, you have spoken word mm. along with the singing. And you got to get the uh, get the look. You can't, like, cheat right. with the look. the look. You have to come out and they have to know who you're doing before you say anything. They got to get it or it doesn't mm. work for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You mentioned um, Tina's Buddhist chance and there was one funny moment on oprah from years ago where she demonstrated this it's on youtube if anyone wants to google it but the best one is no the best one is larry king (laughs) she's had a cross lap from larry king doing it that's a good one because it's kind of it's kind of lengthy and and it's and i and it's like i think he's even going all right girl (laughs) i got it and she's taking breaths and and going faster and faster and faster that's a good one all right go ahead mama i mean i I didn't know that she was chanting when she was beating her um wig you know before (laughs) you know she she went went on but i mean i you know she was raised a christian uh you know in in tennessee um do you do you think that it's I don't know that much about Buddhism, but do you think that her ability to like forgive and move on and it's you totally, know survive it totally and stay comes positive? From her, it totally comes from her Buddhism because she had a long rambling thing after I died. How she forgave him, God forgive him. Mm-hmm. Like you know you can't go on holding on to that because wow. it will eat you up. I forgive him, and she was gonna die. She was going to die a few times. She had, like, cancer. She had a stroke. And she had kidney failure, like, in the course of, like, two years. And when she had the kidney failure, wow. she said to her husband, you know what? It's been cute. I can go. I did everything I could do. I can go. I'm good. And he was like, no, I want you here for me. How can you say that? She goes, yeah, but it's not about me. And it's not about you. It's like. Your time on earth is your time on earth. And it's some highfalutin thing, but this really warmed my heart that she accepted that she's going to die and she's okay. I can die. And then as fate would have it, the husband gave her a kidney. How strange is that? And she took his kidney. Oh, wow. I didn't and she know wasn't, that. She wasn't even going to take the kidney. Like, uh, you're going to need those kidneys. You're going to get old, Miss Thing. You keep that. He's like, no, if it could help you, I'll give you anything. Just, you know, take my kidney. So I think that's kind of beautiful. In the movie, she said, it, it quote, it wasn't a good life. It was in some areas, but the goodness did not balance the bad, unquote. I mean, it's, it is hard to hear that because we like to think of her as this superstar mm-hmm. who, you know, got, got over, you know? Mm-hmm. What she said. Um, I mean, but to look at to, to look at your whole life and to have that to say the end of it, I think that's so real. I think people look no, at people she, like she, Tina, like a lot of people, she, know, like she said on the opening night of the Broadway show, and she was really kind of sickly that night, and you know that decision of putting that thing on her wig <laughs> that might have. <laughs> so she the said, wig with the cow lick in front. <laughs> 
I need the, rock and the, roll. The bob that was flat she, all over. She was sitting in that dressing room and said, I look like an old lady. <laughs> I gotta look like rock and roll. Boom. She stuck that piece up, which just looked <laughs> so odd. So she said, she said, you know, looking back on this, it's always hard to relive it. But I can tell you that for my life, I turned poison into medicine. And that's why I'm here. And then everybody mm. stood up. Oh, Tina. Uh, Deandra was one of the house queens at Boy Bar uh, throughout the 80s and I guess up to mid 90s or early 90s. 94. I don't remember when it closed. 94. Okay. And then Pyramid Club was where. I and all of that crazy crew um, were performing, but there was quite a bit of exchange, you know, on the different nights where, where the boy bar queens would perform at the pyramid. And after 41 years, the pyramid club just oh, closed. It had been I open since that. 1979. I mean, it hadn't been gay for, you know, since the mid nineties. Um, but do you have any, uh, fun memories of the pyramid because i remember one thing that was hilarious you and i did a performance of uh diana ross's i'm living in shame with you as vintage diana and i played your mother in a house dress and then the mother dies while making the, di- the mother dies while making homemade jam and so telegram. i was i was, mama, I was m- mama passed away while making homemade jam buddy went thump Yes, and and so while I'm laying on the ground um, with my house dress and big, you know, uh, like Kmart sandals on, Deandra, with her size uh, eight foot, came over and put her foot next to mine, and surprise, surprise, mine was much, much bigger, and it got quite a howl. Um, do, 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 you, do you, what do you remember of, of the pyramid? Because I, I mean, remember, you know, I was, remember performing there. I remember I performed that pyramid about four times. And I was always happy that they asked me to perform there because I was not the pyramid. My whole aesthetic was not the pyramid. I would go, I would go. What was pyramid? Was, what, what was pyramid was like? What was the vibe? More, you describe it, booger. Bunny. They were they weren't as glamorous as the, as the boy bar beauties. We were you, we had perfect. No, we makeup. weren't polished. Yeah, we polished is the word. But a lot of like yeah. I mean, <laughs> happy face was hysterical, and you know they had some 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 artistic and and avant garde performances that were just like wow, mind blowing, mind blowing, mind blowing. Yeah. And I remember one Sunday they did Night of a Thousand Dianas. And I was last. And I remember sitting in that hot fucking dressing room going, I have to be the 14th Diana. I got to sit through 13 miserable Dianas until I come out. (laughs) But they were, I got like a really great response and it was worth it. But that's, I remember those particular moments. It was always kind of dark and hot in there. It was just too hot. You know, oh, I mean, no, it was a dump. I no mean, ventilation, no AC. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah, the, Sounds the like Bunny's apartment. Was, <laughs> exactly. Sounds like my pussy. <laughs> Sounds like my pussy, honey. Dark and no ventilation. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, the pyramid was essentially a rock club um, that that was run by drag queens, and so you know, some nights they would have drag, some nights they would have live performances. The the boy bar had the glamorous girls who had wigs by Matthew Kasdan. Yes, ma'am. And, you know, they they would rehearse, you know, more than we would. But you know, and the, the pyramid by Glamour you know, and. Yeah, exactly. And ours were by thrift stores, so um, it was it was it was it was a different aesthetic. But we did we did blend well. And then, of course, as the clubs, you know, got bigger, you know, we were all thrown into that same melting pot when the pyramid, you know, had seen better days and the boy bar closed. So, we, DeAndre, you and I worked everywhere, for everywhere years. And it was Love all it was a lot. It was a lot of. It was Everybody. a lot of cross pollination, and it wasn't—it wasn't a real rivalry. But people tried to make it a rivalry, but it really wasn't. We supported mm-hmm. each, we supported one another, mm-hmm. but you know, yeah. All oh, the good old days, gals, when 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 we would just leave our apartments and slap on our heels, hail a cab, and go to the pyramid. I miss those days for us girls. You weren't even a probably. Uh- a nut in your daddy's ball sack, uh, whatever that saying is. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that was a long time ago when I, you probably are old now. Time, time flies. Go ahead, mama. You do have an encyclopedic knowledge of, uh, you know, entertainment history, yeah. um, especially the, the Black Divas. And I saw one of your things on Karma Compass that you're writing for now about Black History Month. And I mean, hey, why shouldn't you get paid for it? Because, you know, if anyone wants to follow you on, you know, and, and give us your Instagram, you know, there's, there's tons of, of, of insight that you Instagram. won't get anywhere else. Come, follow me. HRH TV? H- no, HRH PD, Her Royal Highness Princess Deandra. Okay, oh, yeah. At um, HRH TV because... Instagram. That's me. And I'm on Facebook, but okay. I, don't, um, I don't invite friends that I don't know. My rule is if I've never had a conversation with you, I don't give a fuck what you're eating. I don't give a fuck what you're thinking. And you will not report me to the Facebook police, so I don't have strangers on my Facebook. But Instagram, everyone's yeah. welcome. Everyone. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> That's not a bad way to handle Facebook because so many times I feel myself typing to someone I've never met whose profile hey. pic is a cat, you know? <laughs> See, I can't deal with that. You know, it's like I can't deal with that. Like, and once I was anyway, having a heated well, exchange with someone. And he said he hopes I get shot by the cops. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Oh, God. And I went to go look, and I'm like, I don't know you. So block, get out of here. And that's when I decided. Bunny. I don't know you. Yeah, I see you found my bad, other bad profile. Bunny. You found my other profile. <laughs> <laughs> you say a lot of things, but I would be very shocked in RuPaul if you said I should get shot by the cops. <laughs> no, not by the cops, civilians. <laughs> well, 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 I do live in the Bronx. Address? <laughs> well, thank you, DeAndre. That was wonderful. You are a riot, as always. Well, thank you, guys. Yes, you this are. This was a lot of fun. If only there was like music and cocktails, it would be a party.
Girl, I told you DeAndra was a hoot and a holler. So funny. <laughs> She's so, 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 so funny. And again, it's nice It's nice to get um, an older gal. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but uh, you know, from a from a different time, someone who followed these divas and who knows their career, the in and outs of the career to get her her perspective on it was definitely super great. Yeah, and she is a legendary performer in New York City. She is also in a film that wrapped right before COVID called Mister mm -hmm. Sister, playing a um, <laughs> playing a mature drag diva who takes in a young uh, straight guy who does drag. So look out for HRH Princess Deandra at, uh, I mean, sorry, look out for Princess Deandra in Mr. Sister. Woohoo! And I think that's our episode for today. Guys, once again, please remember to subscribe to this podcast. Also, to leave us a review. Oh my gosh, should I pull up some reviews, Bunny? Should we, should we read some reviews today? Yes. Read the good ones. That won't take long. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get all the ones that 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 talk shit about you. Okay, this one's this is the first one. It says someone needs a raise. Whoever decided to put this ancient drag queen with cheap queen with a cheap queen? I guess I'm, I guess I'm cheap queen that can't even spell money right deserves a raise. I'm soaking it all up and living for these two every week. The two <laughs> different points of view on sometimes very heavy topics with a bunch of comedy added in makes this easy to listen to and also informative. Love you two. Aww. Sharon Needles also gave me a review via text and said that she, she loves listening to it and that it's a um, good combo. Oh, nice. Someone else she said, said it would be a better breath combo if I was with someone else. <laughs> a breath of fresh air. I love, love, love this podcast. It's a wonderful meeting of two of, of the old with the new school of the queer community. I wonder who's old and who's new. Maybe that was a sibling rivalry review that got on there by mistake. Oh, yeah, those are some fun um, interviews. So, I mean, interviews, uh, reviews. So please leave us a review. And um, yeah, thank y'all for listening today. Yes, to the Ebony and Irony podcast where I suck the young lifeblood out of Monet Exchange every week. I, well, y'all know the rule too. Y'all know she want to suck something else, but I wouldn't have any of it. <laughs> See y'all next time. Podcast Network.